in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 12, verse 32, it says, of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. Uh, Father, it is so good to be here with my brothers and sisters today, and uh, Lord, as we think about our times, what's going on in our world, in our country, uh, Father, we pray that you would bless America. We pray you'd bring healing to America. We pray you'd bring an outpouring of your spirit to America and revelation. Father, from the White House to every house, let your spirit move in our country, we pray. Father, turn us towards you instead of away from you by the moving of your spirit. Father, we ask you for this in Jesus' name. So today, help us to understand our times well and help us to know what to do. Help us to see what we should be doing in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look in in chapter 12 of Chronicles, what we find here is a list of people who had come to Ziklag to join with David. At this time in David's life, he had, he was, uh, during this time he was running from Saul, from King Saul, and had eventually had to leave the country, and he had gone into Philistia and and placed himself under Achish, the ruler of Gath. Uh, Achish had put him in Ziklag and required him to pay tribute uh, to him. It was a very troubling and tough time for David. He was with the enemy, and yet he could not return home. But however, in the middle of this, you read in chapter 12 of many people who were coming to join him and to be a part of David's kingdom, and they were coming for many reasons. You can read all about them in chapter 12. One group that came were the men of of Ishkar, 200 chiefs. Now, Ishkar was Jacob's ninth son, the fifth by his wife, Leah. And this was the tribe that came from his lineage. And we hear a very interesting, poignant description of these men uh, that came to join with David. The first thing that is really inspiring about them is they understood their times. They knew what was going on, and they understood what was going on. Not only did they understand what was going on, but they knew what Israel ought to do. I I believe this is a description of what the church is supposed to be like in its generation. We should be men and women who, because of our understanding of Scripture and because of our awareness in the world, that we understand what's going on in the world around us. And because we understand Scripture, we know, we should know what we ought to do. And I'm going to take a look at a couple of those things today. But first of all, I just want to just quickly 
just state to you once again what you probably already know about our times. Political scientists today find that our nation is more polarized than it has been at any time since the Civil War. Think about what many of us have seen in our lifetime. They say this is especially true among our partisan elites, our leaders, who instead of bringing us together and finding a way to bring unity to our country, depict our differences in unbridgeable, apoplectic terms, stirring you know, our country to more and more division. In January 2017, Reuters poll found that one in six Americans had stopped talking to a family member or a close friend because of the 2016 election. More than four in 10 Americans say they think the nation's best years are behind us according to a Gallup poll last year. Today, polls tell us, that the pollsters tell us, that 55% of Democrats have a highly unfavorable view of Republicans. And 58% of Republicans have a highly unfavorable view of Democrats. It's a pretty divided world that we live in. Now, the, I'm going to tell you what I believe. The problem in America today is not only do we disagree, but that, the, uh, the, but that each side sees the other side as evil that needs to be totally silenced. And there's little ground for understanding of each other. The problem is we've lost our foundation. Part of the foundation that we have lost is our foundational belief that the Constitution and living by the Constitution is a good thing. I'm just going to speak as an American uh, right now, but, but so hear me. This is reflected in the he's not my president movement. Listen, I've had a lot of presidents I've disagreed with. There's a lot of things about our president today I wish he'd do differently. But constitutionally, there has to be be some things that we all stand on and agree upon. And constitutionally, whether I like the president that's in the office or whether I don't, he's my president. Now, so, so if, if you're of that movement here, I just want to challenge you to do something. If you get pulled over by a policeman and, and they give you a ticket in the window, while he's standing there, just rip it up, drop it on the ground, and look at him and say, you know, you're not my police officer. <laughs> just see how well that goes with you. You know, just try. You get a, get a letter from the IRS and they say you owe some more money, just write on there, you're not my taxing agency, and mail it back to him. Just give that a run. You know, this, this idea that we, can, that we can do, it's just divisive in our country. 
And we've lost this foundation, not only on, on one side, but friends, hear me, we've lost it many times on, on both sides. Now, we add to that the fact that we have lost and have rejected many, case, many times in our society today the Bible as our standard for moral revelation. And when we, when we lose the Bible as our standard for moral revelation, then morality is shifting sand. There's no foundation for us to stand upon and everybody does simply as they see fit and are offended when you don't accept that and rejoice in it. Now, let me share some good news with you. Tom Dixon, the co-founder of More in Common, reports from their study that 93% of Americans say they are tired of how divided we have become as a country. 71% of them believe this strongly. Uh, I know I'm tired of it, aren't you? This defies the idea that America is split between, between two big groups intent on vanquishing one another, what it tells us is that the vast, vast majority of Americans are looking at everybody saying, I wish you'd all grow up on both sides of the issue. Now, I'm going to show you two symbols today. And and here's what I'm asking you to do. Uh, I don't want any reaction to them. Don't clap for them. Don't boo at them. Don't get up and go to the bathroom and make us think you're walking out. I just want you to see these two symbols today, and I want to talk about them with you for just a moment so we, we can hopefully begin to understand uh, our times a little bit. So here, here's, the, here's the first one I would show you today. Do you see it? Make America great again. Uh, this is, of course, the symbol and the, the slogan of our, of our present president. And what I want to ask you is what's your inner reaction to it? I'm certain there's some of you that your inner reaction to it is yay. And there's some of you in this room that your inner reaction is somewhat different than that. And we need to understand that as a church. That our reactions and our viewpoints on some of these things can be uh, pretty different when we think about them. Right now, what we're seeing in America today, people who are, who, who, because they've been wearing this hat, that are verbally and verbally attacked by other people. And some people are actually physically attacked in our country that's supposed to have free speech that you're supposed to be able to say and do what you want to do, and yet people who are justifying, and we actually hear some of our political leaders who speak in ways, some of our newscasters, I heard one yesterday, speaking in a way that was literally what he said was, 
if you think someone is bigoted and you have a physical reaction to that, that should be weighed into how you are judged. What's he saying? If you think somebody is bigoted, you can just, you can beat them up if you want to. So, uh, that's, that's, that's one of the symbols. Let me show you another one. Here's another symbol. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Let me tell you, I love America. I think America's great. I've always thought America was great. I love America like I love my kids. I think my kids are great. I think my kids are smart. I think my kids are fun to hang out with. I think they're good looking. You know, I I think my kids are great. I hope you think your kids are great. I don't think my kids are perfect. I love America the same way. I think America's great. I'd rather live in America. I've had the privilege to travel around the world and be in a lot of good places and tough places. There's no place I'd rather live than America. I think America's the greatest nation on the world. But I don't think that we are perfect. Now, many of us have heard some of the shocking statements that's come out of some in the Black Lives Movement protests. And when I hear some of those shocking statements, I find myself in those moments finding a, a path to healthy ground pretty difficult kind of hard to justify some things that you hear from the extremes of both groups, isn't it? But here's the question I would ask you. Can we honestly, can we honestly say that America has been great in the civil rights issues of our world? We have a history of slavery. From 1882 to 1968, documented, and they know there were more than these, but documented 4,743 lynchings took place. Now, 3,446 of those were the lynchings of black people, African-American people, and some of them happened in our city. Our city has a history of that. 1,297 of those were white people. Mostly, the white people, you know why they got lynched? Mostly because they were trying to stop a lynching or because they were supporting the civil rights movement. A small number of them were lynched because of being, uh, because of domestic violence. No matter how we feel you and I may feel, or anyone in this room may feel, there's a feeling among the African-American community that justice is not equal. And you don't fix that in a second. It takes time to fix those feelings. And so we look at this and we say, 
how do we as the church, what is the church's role in the middle of all this? So we have to understand that when some people here make America great again, they get hung up on the again. What does the again mean? What exactly are you talking about? Because there were times in many, many people's lives in the past where it wasn't so great for them and it wasn't so lovely for them. So the question is, what are, what are you espousing when you say that? And we can talk about what the president really means. We can talk about all of those things. But as a church, we just need to understand our times and what's going on in our times and how we are called to speak into the times that we live in and what the role of the Christian is in the midst of the pain and the wounds that people have suffered in life. Are you with me today? We're divided over a lot of issues. Some of the issues are political issues. Some of the issues are moral issues. The discussion is heated. At today, in the public square, it's full of accusations. It's hateful. It's filled with name-calling. And in some cases, it grows violence. And what we've done today is just given a brief, just a a quick overview. We haven't dug deep into it at all. It goes much deeper than anything that we're saying today. But what is is our Christian response? Well, let me give you a couple. I'm going to give you six quick things that I think we can do. One, stop name-calling We need to to step away from what the world's doing today. And we we, we don't need to be a part of the hatefulness. Whether that's verbally or on Facebook or on some social media place, we don't need to be a part of calling. Didn't we learn as kids that name calling just makes things worse? It doesn't build any, any camaraderie. It doesn't build any unity. It doesn't build any of these things. We need to be a people who just don't participate in that even when somebody calls you a name. Even when somebody challenges us in a really negative way. Listen, when my, little, when my kids were little and they would you know, say something, you know, say you're mean or you're this or you're that, I didn't, say, I, I didn't look at them and call them names. I had to be the adult in the room. Listen, Christians are supposed to be the adults in the room. We're supposed to be the people who say, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing that. We're going to react the way Christ would have us to react. We are called to be people who show the love of Christ. Here's a second thing you can do. Listen, ask questions, build relationships with people of different opinions. I have some people I've known for many years, uh, and they'll, some of them are, are, are people I've been great friends with over the years. They have very different opinions than I do. And when I hear some of the things that are said, I will, I'll, I'll send them a note, either email them or get on Facebook Messenger privately and send them and say, help me understand this. Help me understand. What are you thinking about this? 
and we enter into dialogue and we begin to talk. Now that doesn't change the country as a whole, but you know what it does change? There's many times when it changes me, when I understand better. And there are times as we talk that it changes them and they understand better because we're friends. We're not yelling. I have some other friends on Facebook and some of you have seen them. They'll call me names from time to time and I just call their hand on it. When they call me a name, I just say, oh, you're calling me names. When you're ready to talk, we'll talk. But I'm not going to get into this name calling stuff. We just have to be the, we are called to be peacemakers. To build our responses in kindness and in truth. Number three, we need to know the difference between political issues and moral issues. And I would encourage you to know what you believe. Listen, I, I, have, a, I have opinions. I'm, I'm an American. I have the right to have opinions on political issues. They may be the same as yours. They may be different than yours. They're political issues. I have opinions about health care. I have opinions about global warming. I have opinions about you know, taxation and what it should look like. I may talk to my friends about those. But I, I generally don't enter into debates about those things. They're political issues. I have a right to vote the way I want to vote. You have the right to vote the way you want to vote. You need to research those issues, decide what you believe about the political issues. You, you can decide whether you want big government or small government. All those political, political issues, they're, they're, they're outside of scriptural bounds. They're outside of scriptural morals. Make up your mind and do what you're going to do. Now, here's the problem. What's entered into the public debate now is our moral issues. There's moral issues on the table. And as a Christian, and as the church, we have an absolute obligation to speak to moral issues. One of the issues that's facing our, our world today is religious freedom. And most of us, I'm just telling you, most of us are, are just not informed about it. In fact, we're, we're bringing a person in on Labor Day weekend who works in that realm of what's going on in America today and how religious freedom is being, uh, is, is, is being attacked. And he, they, they work with a law group that protect religious freedom. They're just going to kind of come in and inform us of some of the things going on. You don't want to miss that day. It's going to be an informative day about what's going on in America so we can know how to pray. But the other two issues are this, this issue of abortion and this issue of sexual morality and how, that's being, how, how those things as moral issues are being undermined away from biblical truth. Now, listen, I understand. Uh, I, I make public statements about these things from time to time on social media places. I make public statements here. I understand to make public statements on this issue brings the wrath of some. I understand. Some people will leave the church when you make stands on these issues. And I'll tell you, you can go find churches that will never address them. There are churches in our community who will never raise their voice about them, even some who will support a different view. 
But what I'm warning you of is they are ignoring a biblical truth that we need to understand and that are being undermined in our lives. On this trip that we were just on, I had a time to speak with a, just, just sitting casually talking with a pastor that if I named the church, you'd all probably know it. Yeah, he, he was former, a former pastor there. And this issue came up. We got talking about what's the biggest challenges we face. And, and this issue of, of teaching about morality and about biblical morality came up. And, and his statement to me was uh, a very famous church. He said, we just teach the love and the grace of Jesus and we let him take care of those issues. And, and I was kind of stunned by the statement. I, I'd heard of that statement, but boy, they were, they were just really proud of it, and, and I was a little bit stunned by it. And I thought, oh, I'll just tell you, I thought, boy, God, are you trying to tell me something? Are you trying to show me something? We continued the conversation, and a few minutes later, just casually, very casually in the conversation, we kind of came back around to that, to that issue, and his wife said, if we preached against those things, homosexuality and abortion, half of our church would leave and never come back. I when she said that at the first, I didn't even, it, it just didn't register until later that night when I'm praying about this. And I'm saying, God, are, are you trying to, 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 to show me something? Are you trying to tell me something? And the Lord said, uh, did you hear what she said? Now listen. It, it, if I felt like we had a greed problem in our church, I'd better get up and preach about greed. If I felt like we had a forgiveness problem in our church, I'd better get up and preach about forgiveness. And, and I, I, my job, my calling, the calling of pastors isn't to sit and say, how's the congregation gonna react? The call of the pastors is to tell the congregation the truth. That's the That's the call. And friends, if you're at this point where there's some issue, some moral biblical issue that if you say it in the church, half the congregation would leave. Whatever you're hoping is going to work isn't working. Are you hearing me? Now, again, you can go to churches and find churches in Springfield that will never say these things. And, and frankly, I just believe they're preaching the, the itching ears of the crowd and, and they want to avoid the tough topics so the crowd is pleased. But I'll tell you, this sets the church up to be morally corrupt when we don't teach on the moral issues of the day. So you can go and flee to those places if you're sitting here and you're of that mindset. But you're fleeing to places that are leaving you, going to leave you on the wrong side of eternity instead of on the right side of eternity. The Christian cannot celebrate sin any more than the young men in Daniel can bow and worship the image of the king. At some point in time, the church has to be a people who, with all love and respect, stay on their feet and say, I will not bow to that. Now let me back up. We need to do that lovingly. We need to do that patiently. We need to do that kindly. But we need to do that. Number four, we need to pray for our country. 
In Acts chapter 12, Herod had begun to harass the church. He'd had James, the brother of John, killed with a sword. And we saw that it pleased the Jews. He seized Peter and threw him into prison. It looked hopeless. It looked like Peter was the next one to be martyred. But the Bible says that the church entered into, listen, constant prayer for Peter. The night before he was going to bring him out before the, pe- the, the people, Acts tells us that the angel of the Lord came and led Peter out of prison and he went to uh, Mary, the mother of Mark's house, where they were gathering and praying for him and he knocked on the door and they didn't even believe it was him at first. That's the faith they had. Praying people make a difference. Prayer still brings deliverance the church in america for the most part we have lost our understanding of persevering prayer we want to say a quick prayer when we're troubled we want to say a quick prayer at lunch we're happy to join and pray together for a minute at church we want to pray maybe before we go to bed at night but to look at the issues of the day and say i'm going to give my time and my effort to pray about this issue the church has lost that and we need to recapture it here's my challenge for you for the next month my challenge is for you to make an appointment with God to set 10 minutes of your day aside to make an, put it on your calendar every day 10 minutes And to go get along with God for 10 minutes and do one thing, pray for one thing, pray for America. Just say, every day, just begin begin to learn what it means to persevere in prayer. We're told to pray for our leaders. We're told to pray for our country. We're told to do this. I just want to, I don't know how many of you will do this, but I'm telling you, the, the, the weakness in America today is because the church isn't doing this. Prayer changes things make an appointment pray for unity in our country pray for understanding pray for right motives pray for healing come to prayer service tomorrow night and pray with us and learn how to persevere in prayer we live in desperate times and we need to pray number five we need to repent and humble ourselves before god we need to put him first as you pray ask him to show you where he has slipped from first place in your life. The church has been formed into the culture of America in many cases more than we've been formed into the culture of the kingdom and it reflects in the way we pray and it reflects in our priorities. It reflects in our goals. When, we, when, we want our kids to find success more than we want them to find God. We want them to be great athletes many times more than we want them to be great men and women of God. Because we have slipped into this lifestyle of the world's goals instead of God's goals. When was the last time you said, when was the last time you heard someone say, you know what I really want for my child? I want them to be a great man or woman of God. That's what I really want for them. I I want them to be a man of prayer. I want her to be a woman of kindness and generosity. I I want him to be a man of holiness. I want her to be a woman of worship. I want them to know their giftings. No, we, we, we say other things. When was the last time you told your child, 
my highest priority for my life and for yours is to find God's will for life and to live a life pleasing to him. I don't care what else my kids achieve. If they don't find that, if they don't get that, I haven't taught them well. If they don't get that, they miss the purpose of their life on this. If I don't get that, I've missed the purpose for my life on earth. Finally, we've got to learn to share our faith with others. How did you come to Christ? When did you get saved? What does Christ in your life really mean to you? Do your children know that story? If your children were asked today, how did your mom and dad get saved? Would they be able to tell that story? If your brothers and sisters, if your friends were asked, how did, how did they get saved? How did they, I know they were religious, but how did they become a religious person? They may not know how to put it in saved salvation terms. Would they know the story? Listen, if we want to change the world, it's by the power of our testimony. We share with other people what God's done in our life. This isn't a hard, difficult thing. You don't have to know a thousand scriptures. You don't have to know the answer to every argument to be able to look at people and tell the people that you love and that you care about, here is my story. Here is how I came to Christ. Here is why I have hope in him. This is what he's done to change my life. And I'm praying that you'll let Christ do the same thing in yours. That's a simple thing. Now, the enemy wants to scare you to death and keep you from doing it. But I want to tell you that when you do it, there is, Jesus talks about, there is meat to eat you know not of until you begin to do that. There is joy in that storytelling. If you tell it in a non-threatening, open way, sharing your faith with others. We need to fill our city with the doctrine of Christ with the hope that comes in his name. We need to change our world. But I'm telling you, the way God wants to change it isn't by us electing new people into office. The way he wants us to change it is by by pulling new people into the kingdom of God. That's the goal of the church. And we should be in this process of sharing our story and inviting people to church. This is one of the dividing points about in, in America today. How does a person get to heaven? You know, heaven, they almost don't hear it. What you hear now is they're in a better place. They're in a better place. Well, how do you get to the better place? Does everybody just get there? You know, when you talk to the world, it's like everybody gets there. But Jesus says that the way is narrow and only a few find it. And the way it's narrow is it's only through Jesus. Tomorrow when you go to work, look around. Everybody in that room is going to spend eternity someplace. Drive through your neighborhood, look around. Everybody's going to spend eternity someplace. When you go out to eat today, look around. Everybody's going to spend eternity someplace 
This is why God called us to stay on this earth, to be used by his spirit, to rescue the perishing. And friend, if you're sitting here today and you've never, you've never in your life or you've wandered from it, you've never surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you've never put your faith in Jesus to be your savior, then you're sitting here today and if the Lord came or you went to stand before him, you would go there lost. Don't wait. Don't play with that day. Today's the hour of salvation. Listen, we can bring healing to America. We can, it can start with us and thousands of churches across America just like if we will live life the way the Bible tells us to live life. That we won't get caught up in our times but we will live above our times and we will bring the power of God to bear on our times by being the men and women of God we're called to be. America's not lost. It's not over unless the church stops being the church. But if the church will be the church, there's power in the, in the presence of God. Amen? Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, in this moment, I pray for our country. I pray for the Christians of our country, the men and women in this room, that, Father, we would rise above, be the, be the, the, the leaders in our country, to bring peace and to bring healing. I pray for our political leaders that you would bring voices of influence into their life to begin to bring peace and healing. I pray that on the moral issues, we would stand strong in those issues and that you would send convicting power about those issues into our world. Don't let the church be formed by the culture. Let the church form the culture, we pray. Father, I pray today for, the law, for, law, for people who are far from you, that they would be drawn to you in Jesus' name, that you would move in their life and touch their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Pastor, as you've talked to me, I've become aware, I, I, I've not really surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I've not asked him, put my faith in him to be my savior. And today I want to do that very thing. If that's you, just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to do that today, right now, in Jesus' name. Take just a moment. I'm not going to take long. Let's see if there's anyone here you need to ask your, your, your Christ into your life. Okay, I want you to join hands with the people right next to you. You know, we want, we want to see people saved every Sunday, amen? If you're here and you're not a Christian, we call to you. You need to, be, you need to surrender your life to Christ. Let's pray together. Father, right now, I pray you would embolden the church, embolden us to be a witness and to invite people who don't know you into your house. Embolden us, Father, to look at the people around us and to share our faith with them. Father, let this be a soul-winning place. Let every Sunday people be drawn to the altar. 
Father, I pray that even right now that you would lay the names of people on our hearts that we're supposed to be a witness to, that we're supposed to reach out to even this week. And I pray that, Father, because of that, we would rescue the perishing. Father, we just pray together and agree together for these altars to be filled with people coming to know your Son and the joy of living for Christ right here around these altars. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come down to the front right now.